Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me another episode of Strategy with Jason. Today, I have a celebrity with me. <laughs> I, have, I have the oh-so-famous, the one and only, Mr. Glenn Pash. Welcome to the Strategy with Jason podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Glenn, what's up? How, How are you? How are you, my Good friend? Man. Celebrity, Good. I always laugh. Somebody <laughs> called me OG, old, so that just means old. That's all. I've just been around long. <laughs> um, Glenn, thanks for taking the time to jam with me. We're going to have a lot of fun when we drive up the strip, come down, just have some fun conversation. But hey, I like kicking off each of these podcasts with an origin story, you know, for the three people out there that don't know who you are. <laughs> okay. Um, how did you get started in this crazy little world we call the automotive industry? Um, my brother was had uh, started an SEO agency uh, probably about 15, 16 years ago. And as always, when you start a company, you reach out to friends and people you know. So um, some of his early clients were the person who did his LASIK eye surgery or his uh, had a friend who had a yearbook company and a couple of other friends who had restaurants. And then also he went to an automotive dealer and said, you need SEO. And so the um, person didn't know what that was, but they negotiated some sort of uh, you know agreement and he started doing SEO. And at that time, automotive started talking about digital marketing mm -hmm. uh, they had you know online forums very similar to what discord is today yep. you know, what we call discord those were the forums you'd get online and you talk about SEO and argue <laughs> uh, and then there were conferences that a digital dealer and a few others started early mm -hmm. so you know the way that we grew our business I joined him probably 12 years ago uh, through writing and speaking and um, just getting your voice out there. And yeah. so uh, automotive was never a planned vertical, but just was a vertical that uh, had a lot of people talking about digital marketing mm -hmm. and it just became, so it's about 85% of our business. We do have some clients that are not automotive, but our, we love working for tier three. And mm -hmm. over time, we've evolved to do a lot of, con you know, some consulting for the manufacturers, large dealer groups. Uh, they like our opinion and our, because we pretty much call the way we see it yep and um, pretty open about that well you know speaking of kind of calling it the way you see it mm -hmm. um, you know hey we're, we're, we're back in person yes. you know gosh yes. it feels great um, you know and we're here at NADA mm -hmm. and um, you know I've a lot of new faces like there's a lot of new tech a lot of new solutions so I'm just kind of curious you've been kind of checking things out yeah. talking to some people what's got you excited uh, I think there's, it's a little bit of consolidation. I think a lot of people are hopeful that some of the promises from, from some of the larger companies that have acquired other companies to create sort of an end-to-end -end solution, um, it, it's coming of age now, yes. where in the past it was still not quite there. So some of the things that Cox Automotive is doing is is finally getting all those pieces when they acquired VIN Solutions and Dealer.com and Dealer Track and all those pieces, they are starting to function as one, which is exciting for for dealers. You know, Techion is here. Mm -hmm. uh, they're talking about their end-to-end -end solution. And so you have that consolidation of communication among technology. And But you also still have technology that doesn't talk to each other. So there are some companies who are just out here saying, well, we'll create technology to 
create those connections. Yes. Right. So now we're seeing industries of, well, we'll just create the connections of your pieces and we're going, okay, that's new. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then the other is um, th this conversation about AI. Yeah. What is really AI? Is it really AI? Exactly. But if, for whatever, even if you're not going to say it's not real AI, which is, uh, you know, some people are saying that it's this concept of, can we use technology to either supplement human efforts in terms of communication for sales, yes. service, or there's a few new pieces out there that we're seeing where people are saying you don't need. And if we can schedule service appointments without a human being involved. Exactly. And is that good? Is that bad? Is Could AI replace your team? Yes or no? Is that good? Is that bad? So, But those conversations are happening. And yes. I think that's actually the most exciting part, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Is, you know, I mean, I have dealerships that are actually looking at contemplating of what potentially an AI workforce looks like for them. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like, wow. Like five years ago, that I don't even feel like it was on the radar. No, and they couldn't even. People just having who was going to handle my chat yeah. uh, <laughs> was a conversation where I, I think you know we've talked about it. It's it's funny. My brother and I were talking about it the other night at our awards mm -hmm. dinner. We had about two hundred and fifty vendors there, and we were talking, you know, handing out awards. But we were taught had a conversation about some of the things we've talked about at our conferences. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes there are two, three, four years ahead of when everyone else is talking about it. And we spoke probably three or four years ago about the idea of conversational commerce, yes. removing forms from the website. If somebody's on your website and they're clicking on check availability, why can't they talk to somebody? Why do they have to, to fill a form connect, and then right. chase? Exactly. I just want to connect. Exactly. And so, you know, to their credit, Carnal and Dealer Inspire were some of the first to say, we can figure this out. And more and more people are starting to do that to Absolutely. say, we don't need forms on any website because we have technology that allows them to talk to somebody in the dealership. Now, now some people are saying, well, that's where AI could come in yes. to start the process very much like a phone tree would be, press this, what questions. But it is this idea of, um, being there for your customer when they have the question versus exactly. uh, when it's convenient to them versus, well, I'll take their name and then I'll chase them, right? So it's really 100%. that idea of, are you going to serve your customers or are we going to chase our customers? And about 15 years ago, I thought we were close. You know, when live chat came out, I was like, yes, we did it. All right. I'm going to have a button on my website. They're going to click on it. I'm going to connect with someone at my dealership. They're going to have meaningful conversation. All right. And by the time they get to the dealership, we're going to exponentially squeeze that time to purchase right. down to a, just a, a nice, reasonable amount. Mm -hmm. And then I got to admit, as an industry, we really kind of messed it up. We took something that had a, a, a huge opportunity and we turned it into a lead generation product. And, and, and I'm a little fearful, maybe maybe it's just me because I've seen it happen once before, I'm a little fearful that we're going to take these and we're just going to turn them into glorified lead generation products. I, I, I don't know if that's going to happen because enough people are now successful at, at it. <laughs> um, but it is, you do make a good point. I think dealerships have to get past this idea of leads yes. and focus on conversations, yes. right? Because I could have a, a million names, but now I have to look at, well, what is my connection rate post you know, chasing, what's my chasing connection rate? And then out of those connections, how many go to appointments, shows mm -hmm. and sales versus 
um, how many people are actually on my website. Um, I think one of the main, I had this conversation this morning with someone and saying, I don't think salespeople and, and managers per se, yep. certain maybe desk really understand how many people are on their website at any given time. When sure. I've asked that question, they're at about 25% of what the reality is. They'll say, oh, a couple thousand. I said, no, actually last month you had 20,000. And their eyes go, what do you what? mean 20,000 people? So I would say to them, if this is your online showroom, right, and saying the word showroom, mm -hmm. we've called it that for years, but yeah. it's not staffed. So if you had a thousand people on your showroom lot, would you stand inside and say the only people, well, if they're serious, they'll come in, or even it would if be they acceptable, you know, they wouldn't allow it. Right. Would it happen? <laughs> and or if I said, okay, well, here, give me your name. Oh, hi, Jason. How are you? Sit here, and somebody will be with you in two hours. Wouldn't happen. But no. yet we're doing that every single day mm -hmm. on the website. So if we say, uh, not everybody wants to have the conversation now, but if you actually see it because we've tracked it in analytics, how many people start a button? and finish the button, we're losing all those people that could be true conversations. Yes. And so let's have more conversation. They may be higher funnel, but guess what? You'll be the first one to answer their question, so they'll stay with you longer if it's thoughtful. Mm -hmm. And to your point though, we have to be careful that we don't get frustrated to say, well, I start these conversations and they're not buying. They're asking questions. Yeah. That's okay. No one else is answering those questions so you can be with them for a longer time. Well, you need a communication strategy. There needs to be an engagement yes. strategy. I was um, talking to uh, another vendor here, and I won't say the name, but they're a large lead provider, all right? And the stat that they're floating around and a lot of the talks that they're having is 40% of leads that are coming in right now are already on sold vehicles. And that's majorly because of an inventory shortage. Things are just flying that fast. Like Things are just moving that quickly. But when they go back to dissect some of those conversations, it's like, thank you for your inquiry, the vehicle's been sold. Right, but to your point, what well, you said it and, it, and and I hope everybody really caught it, is it we, we build lead handling strategies. Yes. We don't build communication or engagement strategies. And that's the problem is every conversation is not a sale. Every yes. conversation is not a, well, hey, I need an appointment it's helping them and staying with them and saying, well, you're top of the funnel, that's okay. That's Let me, right. what's my top of the funnel strategy to keep chatting with you, to move you to the next space, mm -hmm. to move you down. Now, that is harder for some people who are designed to, hey, I don't have time for this, I need to sell today. But I think you're missing the, the, the it's gonna take a little bit to pivot towards that, but yes. I have three dealers who have done it and they said it took me a couple months and they're just killing it because those customers are staying with them because they're the only ones that answered questions. For sure. Only ones. For sure. And, and, and look, I think that's where we actually kind of lean back towards the technology. I think one of the biggest mistakes that we kind of make um, in the industry is that we look to the technology to define the process, when in reality, we need to define the process and work backwards towards the technology. Oh, so, you know, if the dealership's out there like, yes, I do need to have a top funnel communication strategy, well, map out that process and then work backwards. There's some great tech partners out there that will 100% work with you to automate as much of that as possible, but can I have that back and forth between No, and, and I've said that for years. I've been talking about it and writing about it is that you have to go backwards. Start with the experience you want your customers to have. How do you want them to feel when they're done? Okay, now what do we have to do to cause that? Then once we have those actions, we build the process. Then we go, okay, let's go find people who can do that process. Then we go backwards and say, what's the tech that's going to help the people do the actions to do the process? And then we go, okay, now how do we train the people on the tech, right? And so we go backwards, but now the tech 
is serving the process versus I got a cool tech, let me jam it into yeah, my let me, process. Let me figure out how that works. Well, it sounds great yeah. because here at NEDA, everybody's on their best behavior. Boy, it sounds great in the booth. <laughs> of sounds it great. Happens. Or it sounds great at a 20 group. Oh, that's awesome because Bob uses it, Mary uses it, I'm mm -hmm. going to use it, and they're successful versus that doesn't work for my store. That's okay because there's another tech that will and it will help you and it's all about the process it's not the tech the tech supports the process not vice versa exactly um, I want to shift our conversation a little bit sure. over to marketing and I want to ask you a question because uh, Bob Lanham the other day asked me this question and I'm curious to see how you answer it okay Bob, Bob. I know right and it was a good one it was a good one. we had a nice back and forth on it but I want, I'm curious to get your thoughts okay so uh, let's say um, you're a new dealer principal and uh, you just acquired 17 new locations, okay? Kind of scattered throughout the nation, okay? Different geographic areas, different demographics. Question is, from a branding perspective, do you change the names on the buildings or do you maintain the existing brands and why? And that, uh, in my mind, you can make cases for either. Uh, it depends because it depends on what the reputation is in the market. Okay. So if the reputation is horrible in the market, I would change the name. So you do you do like a reputation audit? Absolutely. Okay. What would that look like? Well, I'd look at their reviews. Okay. I'd look. At, I'd read the reviews. I'd see what their CSI scores. Is it is it because if I have horrible CSI or I have horrible reviews, that that's associated. They're already in the market saying this is bad. Yes. Right. So it's like a restaurant. Oh, the food's horrible there. You you know, when somebody takes it over, either, again, if it's a franchise, I have to say, and then it's going to be sold on, I have a new chef and new management. But if it's not, I can rebrand it and say, oh, thank God that place closed. We have a new one out here. Or, and it ties it in. Also, it depends on how you're marketing across everything. If yeah, you're, you're rebranding this as a public company and we're going to be for argument's sake, auto, auto nation or you know something like that, where you're saying all of the stores, because at a grand level we're marketing, the key to that success has to be you have to put a lot of money in a larger campaign to say. Um, and again, it, if there's only one store in each market, then it doesn't. But if I'm have a cluster where people go in this state, I have 20 stores and they're all branded, you know, Glens. Uh, whatever it's yep. called and you go oh but then you have to really build the process to your point earlier of that means that every time anybody goes into that store there has to be a consistent process like yes you've a fran a truer franchise model like every time you go into mcdonald's more or less it's the same yes there are individuals there who could or could not be smiling whatever but you know what you're going to get when you go in there um nordstrom's you know think of all the the top yep. level apple stores and that's there they've built that to say when anyone goes into these markets uh into the, our store they're going to get this experience yes. whether they're buying a subaru or mercedes or whatever it's going to be that's very difficult to do because also there's a lot of restrictions from the manufacturers now mm -hmm. where there are some ongoing debates of large groups we have a cxo summit that we host where all the participants um, over the course of a year, we have three meetings. They, they have to have 10 stores or more. Okay. So we have groups that have 10, 14, 20, 40, 70. Those are different conversations of what they're trying to accomplish. But if they have that, now they're saying, well, based on manufacturer programs, I have three different website platforms. I have three, two different DMSs. I have three different uh, you know, CRMs. 
And how do they all communicate? Now, layer on top of that, if I want to use a specific DR tool or some technology to say I want to have a standardized process across it, like you know, Asbury's building their own or sure. Toyota's doing ClickPath, you know, and so the manufacturer's helping to build them, uh, or Nissan's using their their tool, you know, their shop at home. Yes. And you're saying, okay, but they're going, well, wait a minute. Now I, as a dealer group, have to have four different tools. How am I presenting my consistent experience to my customers that I want, uh, but yet I have to use this tool, I have to use that tool. Uh, someone brought it up the other day. How can I really create a farm system in my uh, of, of managers and people moving them up if you know, moving somebody from a, you know a luxury store to a domestic store, or vice versa. Sure. You have to learn product, but if I now have to learn all new technology because they have a new DMS or a new digital retailing tool that gives a different experience, that's hard to shift people around. So, long answer. Uh, I think there's a lot of different aspects. So it's not just the marketing. There's so many other things in play right now across a large group like that. Like your supposition. So would you? Uh, brand the dealership or brand the experience? I think you have to do both. I okay. think, well, if you're not going to change names, I would brand the experience, but, um, you know, so then you could call it, for argument's sake, Fast Pass or sure. Fast Lane yeah. or, or Express or whatever it is, and that person's name, but again, it's the name and I just think at a local level, most people are looking to that dealership. So it's that process, that experience, and, and really how are you marketing that your experience is different than someone else's in the marketplace? Because locally, even if I saw auto, quote unquote AutoNation, we'll use them because sure. they're very large, I don't think most consumers know that they're a huge publicly traded company and there's all these AutoNation stores other than, oh, I see their name on a lot of dealerships around here. So that's a, that's a company, but not as large as it is. So, I, I love the idea of a branded experience. Like I, I, I see so much value um, in, in building brand equity with, w within the dealership, but I also see the value to the consumer because I can buy into that. I can buy into experience before I can buy into a product, all right? If it's a clearly defined experience and this is what I'm getting out of it, and there's the value between, uh, between convenience or it's time or maybe it's money, I don't know, but there are, those are values that I can see. I, I, you know, as consumers, we see tons and tons of value in, in experience. Here's, here's my next question, because I have some dealerships that are getting super frustrated with this, and you kind of hinted at it, so that's why I kind of want to go down this rabbit hole a little bit, is you know, can a dealership really brand their own experience when the OEMs are kind of defining the technology that they need to utilize to create the experience? Yes, of course they can, because okay. it doesn't matter, because a lot of, I don't think, you know, a lot of organizations use multiple different tools, just like different websites, you have restrictions. It's how you want to use that technology and all, you know, uh, to deliver it. So uh, there's a lot of DR tools out mm -hmm. there that are quite fine, but it's what are you doing with it? Because yes. again, I can market till I'm blue in the face, but if I'm not delivering on that experience and I haven't figured out how to use this technology to do that, now there may be some frustrations with the technology or I like this one better than the other, but again, you, this is the you know agreement you've made with the manufacturer and you sort of have to either have a voice to give them a reason and get through your dealer body to sit in front of them and say, why, how did this happen? Uh, here's my reasons, why not? But ultimately, if the manufacturer is saying this is the way it has to be, then you have to say, okay, if I'm going to be the manufacturer, well, but then you just say, I have to build a great experience around this and, around and, it, yeah. and, and figure out how to use this tool to deliver that experience. Uh, instead of fighting it, you have to just figure it out and 
I think if you spent time on that, delivering it and building the process versus just, and again, you just can't slap something on and no. say, we're fast lane <laughs> and then not deliver it because your, your reviews will let everyone else know if you're actually delivering on this experience. Yeah, the experience is only as strong as how well you can actually deliver on it. Well, the experience is what other people say the experience is. That's right, really that's what it is. It's that, you know, yeah. your brand is what people say about you when you're not around, period. And so if you could have the best process or think you're delivering on it, but if all of your customers are going, this is not, then you have to look at it. You could believe that yes. it's the best process in the world. You could believe your team is doing it, but if the market will tell you if it's good or not. Your market will tell you. So I, I want to go down the path and talk a little bit about digital retailing uh, for a minute. I was um, just consulting with a large dealer group. Uh, they have about 27 locations, different brands, and uh, different DR products because sure. the manufacturers are asking them to go with this company or that company and this company. And uh, a standardization of analytics I'm really kind of struggling with. I find uh, some DR companies are, are so insanely focused on reporting on lead generation. And then I find other DR companies are, are, are doing a great job of focusing on engagement in the stage of the sale and where they're getting to and the point of it. And I, but there's just no standardization right now. No, there, there hasn't been standardization in a lot of things and no one's, you know, we've talked about it for years. There's mm -hmm. no standardization of how things go into CRMs. Um, so this is where, I mean, we've posted, uh, Brian created them a few years ago, some standard events that a lot of DR companies or even website platforms started using so that there was some consistency so that you know, we had a large group who said, help us with that. And that's where Vista Dash originally came when we had started to build that. And now it's, you know, on its own. Dan, um, Dan's such a cool Dan, guy, by yeah, the way. He's, he's great. Cool he's, he has taken that, he has taken that <laughs> product and just, wow. further than we ever dreamed of. And it, it's all on him. Like it, the success of Vista Dash is him and his team. Um, and I just want to make that absolutely clear. Um, but that standardization in analytics, so again, this is where the dealers have to fight for it. Mm. And mm -hmm. you know, if you're not getting it, you have to ask the right questions and say, "I want to be able to see this." You know, so you have to say to someone, it, 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 "If dealers are only going to ask for leads, vendors are only going to give you leads." Yes, yeah, pretty that's simple, because that's the measurement you're doing. But if you said to them, "Okay, we have form fills, you know, true conversions, phone calls, you know, ta texts, chats." Those things we say, those are hard conversions. Well, let's talk about soft conversions, shopping behaviors. What are things? So these are very simple question. What behaviors on your website, Mr. Miss Dealer, if, if somebody was on your website, what things would they do that you would think show you that you would consider them shopping? Mm -hmm. They would say, well, they'd look at photos. Yep. They would look at some videos. They would look at the finance page. They might play around payment calculator. They might do the value my trade tool or use my DR tool, like all those things. And then you should say to your vendors, okay, can you tag the site so I can see that? And every vendor should be able to mm -hmm. tag and create so I can see how many people click the button, what we talked about earlier, how many people click the button how many people filled this out, right? So a very simple thing we did yes. early on was we called it form completion rate. If you look in analytics and you say, my trading tool delivered me 50 leads, you're going, oh, this is an awesome tool. But if you really tagged it and said, well, 1,500 people started it, but only 50 people filled it out, that means you pissed 1,400, 1,450 people off. Kind of a big deal. 
<laughs> why? And that that just begins the question of why. Now I can go into the tool. Where are the frustration points? Where are the pain points? Is this really the tool I want? When you start doing that, it allows you to look at your website and have better conversations with your vendors to say, where are their roadblocks? Where are their obstacles? Mm -hmm. You know, why are they clicking on this button? Why aren't they? If we can notice that no one's clicking on this button on my website, or very few people are, why is it there anymore? Get rid of it. It's clogging up the VDP. Mm -hmm. Or we could think in our brains, man, I'm going to put this, this, I'm going to put this button, and it's going to say this, and just everyone's going to use it. And three months later, you go, nobody's using it. Change the name. That's what analytics really should be for. Oh, you can get into impressions, all this. It's what are people doing on my website? How can I, how can I use that data to streamline the, uh, the experience for people and really see what's going on? That's what analytics for. And you can get that consistency by asking them to do it. Now, if a vendor's choosing not to do it or won't do it, then I would say, well, maybe that's not the right vendor for me because there are vendors out there and most website companies will. A lot of them are doing it. You just have to say, okay, where do I find that here? Yeah, Somebody's show me, show me, show me where yeah. it is. How can we tag it so I can see it very easily? You know, it's no different than using UTM tags when you're driving traffic from Facebook or Google My Business. I should be able to sort and say, okay, this campaign drove this people and they did this. These people came from Facebook and they did this. These people came from Google My Business and did this. These people, right? That's all it is, but done it simply so that then when I'm having conversations, the vendors can explain it and the dealers can talk about actions, and then what do we have to do to improve the actions uh, you know, from our marketing. Uh, let's go down a little bit, because uh, uh, you, 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 you talked a little bit about data, mm -hmm. and um, boy, I'm seeing more data-driven operation solutions and technologies uh, at NADA right now than I think I probably ever have. Mm -hmm. And that gets me excited, like I get excited about that, but not only that, I'm also finding, um, I'm, I'm speaking to a lot more it's called data educated dealers than I think I've ever had in the past. You know, where in the past I feel like dealers were kind of looking at the companies to tell them, you know, what their data strategy should be. Uh, I'm actually seeing dealers come in with a very specific strategy and it's like, okay, how can I use my data? How can you help me as a data partner right. um, to do this? Now, but I, I still think we're struggling a little bit to figure out, like, how do I identify a good data partner? What am I looking for? Well, but that, that's, we have to be very careful about this because we can have so much data, we can swim in data and then that's we're true. just drowning in data. And it, yes. Of course, because I'm like, oh, big data. Like, I always say I am not analytics, like my brother Brian loves it. I and, and <laughs> where he, and he lives, right? But like he's great. He's voice. great at it, and he's great at explaining it. I go, okay, now that I have it, what can I do with it? Yes. Like I always go to the actions and the people, because I don't really care about the data if I can't do anything with it that's going to help me move my mission forward. Mm -hmm. So if if I can't use this to sell more cars, sell more service, speed up the process, then it's just data for data sake. Because so we can go down rabbit holes of data mm -hmm. and everybody can feel good and so that's the question you you actually did say this well if they're data whatever that means now that can be a buzzword we're a data-driven company Very true. and like what's point b i had a boss who used to always say what's point b what's <laughs> point like b that. in this like conversation that, yeah. what, where are we going with this <laughs> so you can say okay well then what is the data you're showing me mm -hmm. why do we need to look at it and what am i going to do with this like that's very simple so you can say uh, this is a oh this product was built on data what data from where and what do i do with it because if i could be tracking something that is meaningless and i could feel really good about it but if it doesn't drive behavior yep. if it doesn't drive behavior meaning even it could be the behavior of the agency to refine the marketing to drive more people that are like that 
All right. We just redesigned our page search strategy to split sales and service so that we're sending the right signals back to Google about service and sales, where before it was all this mesh. Yeah, it was all, kind of clumped, it was all together, clumped together. So you're going, I don't really, I'm just getting a big, I want more messy to me <laughs> versus no, I want more sales because they did this. I want more service. So that's where that whole idea of data is. So yes, everyone throws it out and that's fine, sure. you as dealers or uh, partners have to be able to say just very simply, why am I measuring this? How do you action it? What is yeah. it? What's good? What's bad? And then what do I do with this? And if then I need that help to map it and you can't just say, well, I don't know, but here's it is. That's not helpful. And so that's where we can go down the rabbit hole of too much data. Okay. You can be measuring too many things. Well, again, data it, fatigue? <laughs> well, I don't think a general manager owner may not need to see everything in the weeds, but maybe another department does because that actually builds their actions and they can make changes. Mm -hmm. And then they roll it up and talk to, you know, at a higher level. But yes, we could just think that we're doing a great job because we have so much data. In reality, we're just basically spending so much time looking at data instead of doing something with the data that may not be a good thing. Actually, I think that's a good point. I mean, I think what I am trying to pick, a, I'm going to call them data partners. I don't know, maybe there's a better term for it. Um, but but it's a great point. It's not necessarily what you're able to track. It's more along the lines of what you're able to do with it. That, yeah, uh, why do you want to yeah. even know about that? Yeah. Like, what, does that what's, matter? What's the action point Absolutely. Uh, you know, saying, you know, uh, there's a lot of metrics that are outdated now. You know, we used to at one time be, get excited about bounce rate. Yeah. So we figured out what that was good or bad or time we don't page. really care. <laughs> time on site, you know, or how many pages. Yep. Like yep. if it's a horrible experience and it takes people five pages to get to where they are and you're celebrating that we're six pages of visit, it Yay. could be a horrible customer experience <laughs> where two pages is excel excellent and you're going, oh man. And then you're comparing it to another dealer going, well, they're five and we're two, we stink, they're great. And you're going, no, not really. They're pissing their customers off and we're doing a good job. Yep. So it's really about what are we measuring? Why are we measuring it? What's good? what's bad, what do we do with it, how do we use it to make ourselves better, our experience better for our customers, more efficient for our marketing, more efficient internally, so each department can connect and talk and, and we speed up the process of delivering that experience. Um, and then same thing for the customers, how are we saving them time? I think part of this data conversation also, which a lot of people don't talk about, is just your inter-departments. Yeah, how frustrating, really how, how we don't, we always worry about what the customers are doing, and you should, but at the same moment in time, how much frustration is it in between the departments, because I have to print it out and then reload it into another system, <laughs> and exactly. that's a waste, and then they're frustrated, or I have to print something out and give it to them, and then I have to go over here and do something else, and this department has to, pro I mean, there's so many, again, friction points just of internal teams executing. I don't think we spend enough time talking about that because it's always about we have to sell more cars instead of are we also frustrating our own internal teams. And I think sometimes you know, um, making things go faster is not always what we necessarily need to do. I got a story for myself. I, I ordered a couple pickup trucks, okay? And I was told they're going to take about five to six weeks to come in. I'm like, okay, well, that's actually better than I thought it was going to be, but that's cool. Um, and what I feel like they did is they really kind of extended out the sales process, all right? So there was you know, the the finance, kind of let's call it turnover, mm -hmm. actually kind of happened multiple stages. Right. You know, it was like there was a little bit at the dealership, then there was a little of like, hey, take this home, I want you to chew on it a little bit, and then we'll kind of jump on another call, just we'll have a little more conversation around it. Mm -hmm. You know, there was an additional conversation around accessories, because at the point when I was at the dealership, oh no, guys, no, I'm done, I'm tired, it's three and a half hours, yeah. let's just, I just want to go home, you know? you know, but 
but because of this time difference um, or this extended time uh, I think I sold myself on the lease warranty I uh, I sold myself a tonneau cover I sold myself the the running boards I sold myself like I was like because I had this additional time but they made it so easy for me to communicate it to them you know, I was just like, oh, all right, guys, you know what? And it was, it was guys, because I felt like everyone was kind of there. They were always getting CC'd on the email. So it was uh, the finance manager was on it. The salesperson was on it. All right, when, when I started buying accessories, they looped in the, the parts manager. And I said, guys, what about this? The parts manager came back and was like, hey, Mr. Harris, you know, that's, it's, those accessories are only about two weeks out, so we can have them here. We'll have them installed before you even pick up the truck. I'm like, great, do it. Then the finance manager jumps in and goes, okay, hey, Mr. Harris, here's your new bill of sale. It's going to be an extra $63.27 on your, on your monthly at least so I was like oh, okay this is cool and they just it seemed like it amongst themselves was amazing back and forth you know but I was kind of a part of the whole conversation I felt so connected to it but I don't if, if I think if the vehicle was there and I was picking it up that day I would have never got that type of connection I well I think I would have wanted to go home exactly and, I think it's it, it's the time is your on your side and, yeah. and and more importantly what happens is that experience you just had you're going to expect that and or better three to four years from now when you come back with the car and you're going to think well the process has to have evolved because that was pretty easy and i liked it i think this is the evolution of what's going on right now is mm -hmm. how do we how do we sell in this market with inventory and ordering and are we're more comfortable now having these conversations that are a little longer because they're stickier but then it's the conversation of well how do we change our process for the future like what happens when inventory starts to come back yes. it may never come back to that the length that we had it, and i'm not mm -hmm. sure manufacturers really want it to be that much you know 120 days yeah. yeah it might be less where they said let's hey man if we could have 30 to 45 days on the ground we're good and we like that we can maintain price we can do all of these things I just think we have to watch that we don't go backwards to all of the good things that we've learned over these last 18 months, both for ourselves internally, uh, efficiencies, and also from a customer experience standpoint, and just don't go backwards to go, oh, go thank God we're done with that, <laughs> instead of looking at it and say, what did we learn and what did we want to keep? Because a lot of good things happened because we were forced to do that. We were forced to cut out waste in the process. We were, mm -hmm. we were forced to do things more over the phone and over email. We were forced to deliver and make it better for them. I think now you can say, well, how do we, as you were saying, find a middle ground where we still do some of that and we do a little of what we like here and, and really get to the point of saying, we will do what the customer wants. If the customer wants yes. to do it fully online, we'll do it fully online. If they don't want to do anything and they want to come in, we'll do that. Or somewhere in the middle, I think that's the evolution of where we're going instead of going to extremes of saying everybody wants to buy fully online. No, they don't. <laughs> Nobody wants to buy. Nah. I think people want to be able to save time. And that's really the question everyone should be asking themselves is, <coughs> excuse me, how do we save time for our customers? How do we save mm -hmm. time for our team internally? And if we can save five minutes here, trim five minutes here, you know, you see the, the, there's a couple companies here at, at the show where you're talking about single point of contact. Yeah. Like, the, the ideas, the thoughts of, well, a salesperson can't do F&I. Well, these folks beg to differ because it's 100%. been, because it also was built from a store internally to externally. So they made it work for them and said, I think other people should do this. And so again, if that customer experience, that saving time, they feel in control of that. 
Well, great. Now that's another evolution. You may not want to do that. That's no. okay. But if you do, there are now proven models of it being successful and profitable and faster and easier. Mm -hmm. And so I think we're at a point where we're asking a lot of really good questions about why can't we do that? How can we do that versus yes. no, we can't. We can't do that because we never did that. Nobody's going to want to do that. Well, you know, Carvana's proven that there is a small pocket of people that would like to do some of that. These folks like A to, D, a to Z Zinc and Fuse Tech have shown you yes. that people would like to deal with one person at the dealership and move all the way through and speed through the process. We've seen that there is a small group of people that would like to do a lot of things online, come in, sign some papers, finish one or two things, test drive the car and be out of there in 45 minutes, <laughs> um, or have it delivered to me, or pick up my service. And like there's, instead of broad brush, there's one way or the other, we're starting to get this palette of ranges of things and we have to be more flexible, flexible as a manufacturer, flexible as a dealer to say, we're giving options to customers and they're not all gonna fit in a bucket, but now we have six buckets. Yeah, I have buying options. We have variations. Instead of a selling process, we now have buying options. We have you know, variations of our process, anywhere from fully online, you never show up, I'll drop it in your driveway, to you do nothing until you get here, and I walk you through the what we'll call the older process of walking, kicking tires, taking test drives a million times, all that. And every, and every shade in between. And we have to start being prepared again, if that's what your, your conversation is, I would like to be able to present that, then what do I have to do? What's the technology to be able to do that for our customers and then find the right people and train? And it's an investment, it's it not, is. and I don't mean it's to make it sound yes, like a, uh, off the cuff, like, oh, this is easy and Glenn doesn't understand. No, it's damn hard. It is. But if you do it and you commit to it, it does work, it's just you really have to be committed to, to the change, mm -hmm. to committed to some of the frustration points uh, that you will encounter, and be committed to push through those barriers to get to the other side uh, in a thoughtful way versus, well, we're just gonna flip the switch and we're gonna do it tomorrow. That's not working, but if you say, we're gonna start as a test, we're gonna expand, we're gonna learn, we're gonna implement, and then I always say, a year from now, who, how do I wanna look? Yes. And if you think to yourself a year from now, you can get there. It's not next week, next month. And that touches everything we talked about from data, understand, process, but it, it's a longer term vision and then fighting through those little battles to get you where you need to be. Well, it is a marathon. It really is, right? And we got to find our pace and we got to keep running. Well, everything's evolving you know? and it's going to be, we'll get to that other side and then there's going to be something else that we might evolve to. And that's the key is that you have to be, well, I, a good, uh, one of my good employees, one of my, he's here today, he studies Taekwondo, uh, uh, Jiu Jitsu, I'm sorry. And he's a black belt. It took him 20 years to become a black belt. Yeah. And he said, once I got it, I felt I don't deserve this. He's always the student. So it's, it's always being open to learning more and finding something else. And I think those are the great operators. They're always saying, we're here, but there's all, we may have to evolve. We're always evolving and growing. Always, it's, always it's do you want to constantly be the perennial student in this industry? Well, Glenn, that's uh, that's our time, and I bet you we've we touch on some serious, like a lot of conversation, some great topics. So come to DMSC. Um, that's what I was going to say. Napa, <laughs> like, where we are going to continue these conversations. So dealers come out there to us, and there's a, if you use the code DMSC200, you save $200 on your ticket. But you got to do it by the end of March. Uh, Jason's going to be out there. 
We're going to have a good time, we're and we're going to talk a lot, uh, a lot about this in these conversations. And over the course mm -hmm. of three days, you can have these conversations and come back and go, "Well, wait a minute," and you'll have it with manufacturers and large dealer groups and vendors. And then you can find the partners that you want and find other dealers that are doing things. And now you create partnerships with them just to be uh, building my own network of advisors. It's going to be a lot of fun. For everyone out there that's watching and listening right now who would love to connect with you, what's the best way to do so? Uh, you can just connect with me. You can either go to our website, pcgdigital.com. If you're looking for the uh, the uh, the event in March, it's digitalmarketingstrategies.org. You can find me on social media, just Glenn Pash, two N's, P-A-S-C-H. And I respond to everyone. So if you have a question, you want to talk, you want to connect, LinkedIn and Twitter are usually the favorite places I hang out. Awesome. Hey, Glenn, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me today. My pleasure. This was a lot of fun. All right, great. Thanks for tuning in to the Strategy with Jason podcast with your host, Jason Harris. Don't want to miss new content? Be sure to check out the full podcast library at strategywithjason.com to stay in the know. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe. Happy podcasting.